Hi, this is Matt and Sean from Two Black Guys with good credit from a local business to a global corporation. Partnering with Bank of America gives your operation access to exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Visit bankofamerica.com slash banking for business to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America, N.A., copyright 2024. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then... Stripe Tap to Pay on iPhone came along and changed everything. With Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. No more juggling different methods. Just a simple tap on my iPhone and transactions are complete. What's truly remarkable is how Stripe caters to all my customers' preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Stripe ensures a smooth checkout experience every time. Setting up Stripe was a breeze, taking just minutes to get up and running. From local markets to global retailers, Stripe helped me expand my reach and grow my business with ease. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Coming up on DTNS, how a wonky European privacy decision affects U.S. companies and you, cloud gaming services or loss leaders, and what that big attack on Twitter Wednesday means. This is the Daily Tech News for Thursday, July 16th, 2020 in Los Angeles. I'm Tom Merritt. And from Studio Redwood, I'm Sarah Lane. From Lake Merritt, I'm Justin Robert Young. I'm uh, Roger Chang, the show's producer. That's Roger Chang, the uh, show's producer. We were just talking about the NBA bubble. We were talking about saving a goose. Uh, and we're talking a little bit about this Twitter story. Get the wider conversation on our expanded show, Good Day Internet. Become a member at patreon.com slash DTNS. Let's start with a few tech things you should know. Facebook began rolling out Instagram Shop in the U.S., a place to shop from the Instagram Explore tab. Instagram Shop features personalized products from brands and creators, as well as curated collections from Instagram's at shop account. The company plans to eventually replace the activity tab with the shop tab, and users can check out using Facebook Pay. Facebook also announced that it will add a label to all posts from U.S. presidential candidates and federally elected officials that mention voting or ballots. These labels do not indicate the accuracy of the post's information and will provide links to official government websites on voting for the most up-to-date information. When in doubt, label everything. Uh, Xiaomi announced an international version of its low-cost Mi Band wearable, the first time the device will be officially sold outside China. The Mi Smart Band 5 supports activity tracking for 11 exercise modes with heart rate, sleep, and stress monitoring and menstrual cycle tracking. It offers magnetic charging, a claimed 14-day battery life, and water resistance up to 50 meters. Compared to the China-exclusive Mi Band 5, the international version does not include NFC or the Xiaomi AI virtual assistant. Pricing and release dates were not announced. Scener, makers of a video co-watching Chrome plugin, announced that Scener now supports Amazon Prime Video, Disney Plus, the premium version of Hulu, Vimeo, and Funimation. The plugin launched with support for Netflix and HBO Max. The company is also working with San Diego Comic-Con to host streams of films and anime during the event with a live community chat. Amazon added 38 live TV channels to Amazon Prime Video in Germany. 
This includes 28 HD channels and access to public broadcasters ARD and ZDF. The channels are part of the standard Prime Video package at no additional cost to you, the good German subscriber. Mm, that's what they were up to. Uh, Google <laughs> confirmed what we saw in leaked slides. Yeah, a deeper integration of Gmail chat, meet and rooms coming to web and on mobile. The update will first roll out to customers in the G Suite early adopter program. The chipmaker TSMC confirmed as of May 15th it suspended new orders from Huawei to comply with U.S. export regulations and will ship out any existing wafers ordered by September 14th. TSMC chairman Mark Liu said that the company is working closely with other clients to fill up its unused capacity and anticipates that TSMC will still achieve 20% revenue growth this year based on demand for 5G smartphones, infrastructure, and high-performance computing applications. Oh, it might have been a nice day for Twitter today, if not for the devastating social engineering attack we will talk about later. Twitter announced a new pop-up messenger box-style interface for DMs on Tuesday. And Wednesday, it announced that the Twitter API V2, the first rebuild of the API since 2012, will add missing features like conversation threading, poll results, pinned tweets, spam filtering, and is designed to let Twitter add new functionality to the API oh so much faster. Platform access will also be revised into new pricing and access tiers. And you got to love breaking news right before the show, because today (laughs) Netflix announced that Netflix has named Chief Content Officer Ted Sarandos co-CEO. Sarandos will continue to head content. CEO Reid Hastings, Reed Hastings rather said, quote, this change makes formal what was already informal, that Ted and I share the leadership of Netflix, end quote. Netflix also named Chief Product Officer as Chief Operating Officer. Uh, the company also announced it added 10 million net new global subscribers, beating expectations. Co-CEOs never goes wrong. Ask Blackberry. All right. Uh, <laughs> Let's talk a little more about (laughs) uh, what would probably have been the main story today uh, on any other day. The EU and the U.S. have had a back and forth on agreements to make it easy to let U.S. companies transfer data from the EU to its U.S. operations while still following EU privacy rules. We're, We're talking about companies like Facebook storing EU user data in U.S. data centers, for instance. This is not about uh, keeping EU data separate from any e- U.S. jurisdiction, uh, or it is, rather. It's not about sending emails and stuff. This is Facebook saying, hey, we, we, we have a data center over in the U.S., uh, so we want to store some EU data there. And the EU had this agreement that allowed that to happen. Well, a previous agreement was struck down in 2015 and replaced with a new one called the EU-US Privacy Shield. So back in 2015, we talked about that. We talked about the Privacy Shield on DTNS going into place and how that just made things a lot easier, uh, lowered costs, lowered compliance issues. Well, that one's gone now. The European Court of Justice found that the primacy of US national security, public interest, and law enforcement in Privacy Shield, in other words, Privacy Shield said, well, US still has those as their prime factors, interfered with the ability to protect EU citizens' privacy rights. And the process to handle EU citizen complaints was not sufficient. This was a lawsuit brought by Max Schrems, and he won partly. It's because data of the capture powers allowed by Section 702 of the U.S.'s Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act and U.S. Executive Order 12333 sanctioned bulk collection. 
That's specifically just not allowed under EU law. And the court said, look, uh, this agreement can't work if those FISA Act and executive orders are in place. So the ruling means companies now no longer have blanket coverage and will have to rely on something called a standard contractual clause. Businesses in non-U.S. countries already use these SCCs, as they're called. Some U.S. companies, like Microsoft, already use them as well, just to give themselves a little redundant coverage. The court has previously chosen not to abolish SCCs. And in, in this decision, they said, we're not getting rid of SCCs. But the court warned that data protection agencies in European countries could suspend the SEC protection if they are found that not to protect EU data. So the court said, look, we don't think U.S. law can protect EU data. We don't think we have the jurisdiction to uh, overturn these SCCs. That's the data protection agencies. But they essentially said, go complain to your data protection agency in your local country about this, and you'll probably get a result. So this isn't over yet uh, because U.S. law could be seen to override the protections in the SECs, which would mean companies who use them would be in breach of European law by relying on them. Uh, The upshot here is either the U.S. would have to change its law to make it easier to uh, have an agreement with the EU or U.S. companies would have to start keeping EU user data in the EU, big and small companies, right? So not all companies are going to find that easy to do. Yeah, uh, uh, and and these are part of uh, uh, what you have to deal with when you play in the EU. They are going to make these kinds of rules, and uh, uh, for for the uh, you know the, uh, on the U.S. side, you got to figure out a way to make things compatible, and it shows you exactly how difficult that is. Well. Sticking with the EU for a minute, the European Commission announced the launch of an antitrust probe into voice assistance and the Internet of Things. According to EU Competition Commissioner Marguerite Vestager, voice assistants, quote, collect a vast amount of data about our habits. And there's a risk that be big companies could misuse the data collected through such devices to p- cement their position in the market against the challenges of competition, end quote. The probe would also look at fitness trackers, connected fridges, washing machines, smart TVs, lighting. A preliminary report is planned for spring 2021 with final conclusions by summer of 2022. You know, one of the things that strikes me about this is it's a little bit of a uh, preemptive strike. Uh, They're not saying that it is an anti-competitive market. They want to stop it from becoming an anti-competitive market. So they're, they're trying to get ahead of this one. Yeah, and and it's interesting because uh, uh, it, this has apparently the Internet of Things and and the voice assistant uh, market has become enough of a established player, enough of a consumer category that they feel that they need to do it because before it was kind of a curiosity and a hobby, really, uh, you know, up until this point. Yeah, it's 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 the entry into the smart home. So looking at Internet of Things in conjunction with it makes sense. And it it is a way for for Europe to say, look, we don't want walled gardens that cause Amazon or Google uh, to become predominant in this market the way we let them, in their opinion, become predominant in browsers and search. Yeah, there we go. The the wandering EU policeman allowing for such horrors to be unleashed upon the world. How dare we question the burden on their shoulders? Hey, instead of talking about the EU, Justin, (laughs) let's talk about the U.K., 
Let's do it. Finally, a non-European country. A warning published by the UK's National Cybersecurity Center, uh, Canadian Communication Security Establishment, the U.S. Department of Homeland Security, and Cybersecurity Infrastructure Security Agency. Enough security for you? Wait, we have one more. The U.S. National Security Agency, boom, says attackers have been targeting organizations working on a COVID-19 vaccine in the U.K., U.S., and Canada. The statement says the attacks may originate with a Russian organization, but that is not certain. The warning also says access to networks was gained through phishing attacks, and then the well-mess and well-mail malware was installed. Vaccine research itself is not secret and published in scientific journals. Attackers could benefit, however, from gaining access to details of manufacturer and supply agreements. The report did not identify which organizations were targeted or what, if any, information was accessed. It did say research has not been hindered. Yeah, I mean, I think we can probably guess who it was. Uh, as we mentioned yesterday, Oxford University uh, working with AstraZeneca in the UK, uh, and the UK made this announcement on behalf of the other security agencies. So, you know, you connect the dots. Uh, they're pointing the finger at Russia, but they're they're only saying they're almost certain, not that they are certain. Uh, this could be China, could be North Korea, could be Iran, could be somebody else. Uh, but they are definitely sure, and this is what I want people to take away from this, they're definitely sure that uh, social engineering happened, phishing attacks happened, malware was installed, and data was accessed. Uh, they said it did not hinder the research, but again, the research is all public data, what they don't say is whether they got those details of manufacturer and supply agreements, which could be incredibly lucrative as corporate espionage for whoever accessed them. And, and let's also understand where we are right now with a vaccine. You have many countries, up, including the United States, that's spending a lot of money out of government coffers to use to work with a lot of these private companies that are literally producing vaccines that are still in trial Right now, that if you've heard about the government's Operation Warp Speed, effectively what that means is that by phase two, if it looks promising, you're producing it. So by the time that phase three is done and it seems safe, you're not starting the months long lead time to produce a vaccine because obviously COVID-19 has affected the world so tremendously. So this is not something that is a down the road thing. This is a massive multi likely billion dollar uh, a business that is going to come with straight checks from the richest countries in the world. Yeah. So these were these were cyber attacks meant to make money. <laughs> to, to be yes. able to, to figure out how to get in on some of that cash. Uh, they, they, they were not meant to stop the vaccines. In fact, quite the opposite. They want those vaccines to get out there so they can use that manufacturing and data that they found to, to cash in. Yeah, they, they, they want this is a once in a generation train heist in terms of corporate espionage because it is rolling now and nobody knows how long it's going to continue to be a target. Sarah, let's talk about something that doesn't involve any of this gaming. OK, Microsoft's Project X Cloud game streaming service will arrive in September as a free add on for people who pay for Xbox Game Pass Ultimate. Microsoft's Xbox chief Phil Spencer says that Project X Cloud will eventually be available separately from Xbox Game Pass Ultimate. Protocol's Janko Rodgers passes along the salient observation from more insights and strategy analyst Anshel Seg that most of these cloud services can be seen as lost leaders. 
As NVIDIA's GeForce Now encourages cloud gaming as an industry, it sells more GPUs to cloud services. Stadia shows off technology that can be sold to the video game industry through Google Cloud, and the same goes for Microsoft, which can sell xCloud functionality through Azure. Yeah, I thought this was a really good piece by uh, Jenko over at Protocol, uh, and, and of course, passing along insights from Anshul Sag, which are, are really good too. Um, uh, this explains a lot. If people are like, they'll get rid of Stadia. No, they won't. Stadia is their demo car. It's their, it's their model home. Uh, it's the thing that they're using. It doesn't matter if people even use it. As long as it works, uh, then they can use it to show other companies who want to create their own video game streaming services. Of course, Microsoft, uh, I think it's well known, doesn't do anything if it doesn't make money through Azure these days. That's not exactly true, but it's almost true. Uh, so it makes perfect sense that xCloud would be part of that. Uh, and be, that's why they feel comfortable just bundling it in with Ultimate. Like, Phil Spencer said, eventually they'll sell it on its own too, and they would like to make money off of it. Uh, but it is just as valuable as a demonstration of what Azure can do for Microsoft, the way Stadia is is valuable as a demonstration of what Google Cloud can do, the way uh, GeForce Now is, is, a, is a way to encourage people to tune their games for ray tracing and other things that will allow NVIDIA to go sell more GPUs. Well, imagine when we all get 6G, what this life will look like, you know? Uh, uh, I'll tell you, I would only push back on one thing. I think the name Stadia could go away. Sure. But the concept of... Why do you hate Stadia? Oh, no, no, no. I'm not saying I hate Stadia. I'm saying that... No, the name. Oh, who knows? Because Google might want to rebrand it or somebody else. They might have a partner come in that wants to buy the bones of it or license the bones of it and call it something else. Google wants to sell server space. Azure wants to sell server space. AWS wants to sell uh, a server space. This is the concrete of our modern age, and they want to show you all the amazing things you can do with it. Yeah, yeah. You don't sell concrete by rolling up a concrete truck. You build stuff with concrete and show what you can do with it. Yeah. Hey, folks, if you want to get all the tech headlines each day in about five minutes, be sure to subscribe to DailyTechHeadlines.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. The Claude 3 model family from Anthropic is your one-stop shop for enterprise AI. With models at every point on the price-performance curve, you no longer have to make trade-offs between intelligence, speed, and cost. Claude 3 Opus sets new industry benchmarks for intelligence. Sonnet strikes the perfect balance between skills and speed. And Haiku is the fastest and lowest cost model on the market, perfectly designed for high-volume, high-speed use cases. Join the thousands of enterprises who trust Anthropic to keep them at the frontier. Visit anthropic.com slash Claude today. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Stripe Tap to Pay on iPhone came along and changed everything. With Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. No more juggling different methods. Just a simple tap on my iPhone and transactions are complete. What's truly remarkable is how Stripe caters to all my customers' preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Stripe ensures a smooth checkout experience every time. Setting up Stripe was a breeze, taking just minutes to get up and running. 
From local markets to global retailers, Stripe helped me expand my reach and grow my business with ease. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. All right, let's talk about the Twitter stuff. It started during yesterday's Daily Tech News show and high profile accounts like Elon Musk, Bill Gates, Uber, Apple, President Obama, among many others, all posted a weird encouragement to send them Bitcoin. Uh, at first, I thought, OK, this is just some hacks, some clever hacks into high profile accounts. It happens. Well, it was bigger than that. The posts were removed, but kept popping back, sometimes on the same account, sometimes on other accounts, to the point that Twitter eventually took the scorched earth policy of stopping the ability for all verified accounts from being able to post in order to make sure that the attackers wouldn't be able to post to the most high profile accounts. They just shut them all down. Twitter says it has no evidence the attackers accessed passwords. Uh, it did not believe that you need to reset your password necessarily. However, out of an abundance of caution, Twitter did lock accounts that had attempted to change the account's password during the past 30 days. And it's working to help people with locked accounts gain access, but they're being very careful about who they give that access to, rightly so. Twitter says it believes this was a, quote, coordinated social engineering attack by people who successfully targeted some of our employees with access to internal systems and tools. Yeah, so right. not you think not an inside job according to Twitter they're implying that this was social engineering it wasn't done on purpose uh, they think somebody tricked an employee into granting them access that's the way it reads to me see last Monday's episode on social engineering it can happen to anybody scoff at your risk a source however told motherboard quote we used a rep that literally done all the work for us <laughs> and a second source claimed the attackers paid a Twitter insider for the access. Now, that raised a lot of eyebrows. We don't have confirmation. It could just be the attackers spouting off to, to cause controversy. We don't know. Motherboard also showed redacted screenshots of a Twitter admin panel, which showed account details, the ability to add an email and phone number to an account, as well as whether the account was suspended or protected. That ability to add an email and phone number is probably how this account was uh, was was how this attack was carried out. Twitter said the access was used to take control of accounts. That implies it was not using an internal tool to post to Twitter accounts, that Twitter employees didn't have that, but that the tool was used to grant access, likely by resetting passwords and email addresses. That's also backed up by what the sources told Motherboard. And that can be automated. That can be done rapidly when properly scripted, especially if you have access to the tools used to do account recovery and resets. Now, hacker Lucky225 uh, has legitimate control of deceased hacker Adrian Lamo's account. He did an interview with Ars Technica that I found very interesting. He received a password reset code 90 minutes before the first public signs of the breach. He did not enter it, but shortly after got an app notification of a new device logging into the account. Lucky225 then regained control using the phone number, so he pulled it away from the attackers, but later that evening got a notification that his two-factor authentication had been turned off, which could be related to Twitter managing compromised accounts and turning off passwords and access. Twitter's still investigating how long the attackers had access. We know they had it at least 90 minutes before the attack showed up at 1 p.m. Pacific yesterday. They could have had it longer. What other information did they obtain? What else might they have done while they had access to the dashboard? Were they just having fun posting to high-profile accounts about Bitcoin, trying to make some money? That's what the FBI says. Or were they gathering information from 
direct messages. DMs, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Now, Twitter, yeah. Twitter says it has taken significant steps to limit access to eternal systems. Well, so like today, today doggone it. they said that. Yeah. So in other words, I, here's how I imagine that there's a team of, let's say there's a team of six on the community team that has access to this to like, look at suspended accounts, help recover. If somebody's like, Hey, I got locked out. Somebody hacked my account. They can reset passwords for somebody change email addresses in this tool. And today Twitter said, well, there's one person has access to that tool. We locked everybody else out so that, that we know uh, how to control access. That's probably what that means. There was a lot of there were a lot of questions yesterday. I mean, this this all kind of broke at the end of uh, yesterday's DTNS, and you know the whole sort of like, oh, if you have a blue check mark and you're verified, you can't tweet anymore. I tweeted, but I also use a third party app. Mm-hmm. That's and interesting I, too. I, I I I immediately deleted the tweet because I was it, you know it was just test kind of thing. But there were a lot of other people in my timeline doing the same thing. Like, what is happening right now? Like. Are we out? Are we in? What's going on? The whole idea of, you know, somebody gaining access and then two-factor being turned off for somebody who had legitimate control of someone's account is interesting. Uh, the, you know, the, 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 the situation uh, as of now seems like it's, you know, it's under control. But, yeah, what was the social engineering, you know, thing that, you know, got somebody to give over c- credentials to have a hack of this magnitude? Because, as you mentioned, Tom, we talked about this in our security week last week. Yeah. This happens all the time. And, it, you know, it, and, and very smart people sometimes are fooled. And that's what this sounds like. Well, all right. So, so let's just uh, uh, real quick to reset for everybody. If you're thinking about this from the way that we normally think about uh, uh, exploited uh, uh, accounts, where somebody gets a password or like a phishing to the user, that this is not that. This was something that was the call was coming from the inside. Somebody got access to Twitter's internal panel. So it's like uh, a lot of the conversation of well, how do they bypass? Two-factor authentication. This is how that they write the rules inside of Twitter, and so yeah. they decided. So, so the scenario would go: someone yeah. got access to this internal admin tool that lets you change password, reset passwords, and change email addresses. You yes. go in once you have access to that tool. You add an email address that's yep. that, that under your control. You say reset the password. You never have to see the password, but now you get the email password reset at the email you added, and now you can get into that account. And now you own you own that account. You can do whatever you want to it, and you can see all the data there. So I think that is a a big question here. But Tom, let's get into the who, how, and why of it all. Right. So this happened to Twitter in January two thousand nine. That time it was unforgivable. It was a brute force attack of an admin password that was happiness. The password was happiness. It was a dictionary attack. Uh, (laughs) That allowed posts from President-elect Obama's account and Fox News. So it was just as bad in its effectiveness as today. This is not the first time it's happened, and it hasn't caused mass controversy. Uh, Happened again in April 2009, a mere three months later. uh, That time by accessing an employee's email account where they had stored their admin password in plain text. It was a more secure password, but 
Once they were in the employee's email account, they were able to get the plain text. Well, Twitter has improved its security since then. It settled an FTC case for those breaches in 2010. There, of course, is the case of the U.S. Department of Justice saying that in 2015, Twitter employees were talked into looking up personal information and passing it to the government of Saudi Arabia. But that wasn't giving access to a tool that was passing along information. Uh, And in 2017, a Twitter employee inadvertently deleted the account of President Trump for 11 minutes. That's definitely user error, not a breach. So what we're talking about here is something where I believe if someone had gone in yesterday morning and said, please look at our admin panel security. We have two-factor authentication. We have strong passwords. What do you think? They would have said these seem to be reasonable protections. That's the thing with social engineering. Uh, social engineering is very difficult to protect against because you have to put the firewall in someone's mind. They have to not be susceptible to accidentally giving access either by some kind of phishing attack where they, where they click on something or being fooled into telling someone some information that lets them get into the account or being taken to a website. We talked about the website from Microsoft last week where it looked like you were logging into Microsoft because you were but you had got there in a way that could take the token that was set when you logged into Microsoft and be able to use that to log in later. That is absolutely a way this could have been done. You trick someone into logging into their admin panel through a particular link that looked like it was coming from inside Twitter, you get their token, and then you're able to log in bypassing 2FA and everything. It's a hard attack. It's not easy. That's why you don't see it all the time. So you don't seem to buy much into the idea that this could be a bribe or a payoff or, or, or an inside man. It would be easier to do that attack if you could get somebody to do it. It's harder to get someone to risk that, to, to get that kind of payment. Uh, I don't know. These guys were obviously trying to collect money on Bitcoin. Maybe they thought they could use that, you know, give them a cut of that. It's not impossible. It seems less likely than just social engineering, which is which it is would, a more yeah. common, in relative terms, it's more common yes. for someone to get tricked into giving access than to agree to be paid to give it access. Is, it, is, it is harder to find that kind of confederate on, on the inside. Yeah. Uh, that being said, I will say this. Uh, there was an open letter from Senator Josh Howley, uh, who, by the way, the most dangerous place in uh, cyberspace is between Josh Howley and a trending topic. He loves jumping on this kind of stuff, and indeed he did yesterday. Uh, I do think, though, that, number one, we probably have not seen the last of some of possibly salacious elements of this of, of these leaks, uh, uh, considering that or, or this breach, considering that these people likely had the, the uh, access to DMs of very high profile accounts. And I think that there is going to be a larger conversation and possibly one that the government will look to lead on, knowing Congress's ability to find limelight about who exactly has access to this and and uh, uh, why it was why they they needed to severely restrict it as they said today compared to yesterday i i fully expect that to happen i fully expect twitter to be able to answer all those sufficiently i may be wrong we may find out the twitter dropped the ball on this I, I wouldn't be shocked but i expect twitter will say no we went through industry standard procedures you have to have these kinds of functions to operate a website we had them with limited people we just you know poor pat just got fooled uh and pat feels horrible about it that's actually what i expect uh to happen here is is that's going to be the outcome of this uh the question is 
uh, what do you do with that? And I'm, I'm very curious what the method of social engineering was. I'm very mm-hmm. curious what else they accessed because I don't believe the Bitcoin thing was their main purpose here. I think it was an expedition to find information that is private, information in the DMs of the people they were accessing. We don't know. All we know is there's an Instagram account from Anthony Alias, EK, <laughs> a.k.a. an alias, uh, claiming responsibility, uh, saying they, they, they was a charity attack, etc. cetera. Uh, but that really doesn't tell us anything. No. Well, you know who does tell us a lot of stuff is people who participate in our subreddit. You can submit stories and vote on them at dailytechnewsshow.reddit.com. Also, Nate Langson uh, uh, in our Thing of the Day shows how a $5 loot pack turned into a bit of a bonanza for him. You guys, this week I was accidentally given about $20,000 worth of in-app credits in a free-to-play game made by Gameloft after the company mistakenly put hundreds of times the amount of credits in a new loot box than it meant to. The $5 packs were only on sale for a matter of minutes before they were pulled, but I got lucky and managed to buy a few. And you can hear how this happened and what I learned about loot box economies as a result of this on my show, Text Message. You can go to uktechshow.com and look for episode 2 one two or search text message that's t-e-c-h apostrophe s message wherever you get your podcasts that's episode two one two back to you guys uh by the way i'll throw in that if you are a patron of text message and you get their extra message uh nate goes on to explain later in the week how they reset his balance and now he owes coins (laughs) because he took advantage of this uh so kind of an interesting solution to that go check it out Speaking of patrons, thank you to our patrons at our master and grandmaster levels, including Mark Gibson, Dr. Carmine M. Bailey, and Mike McLaughlin. Also, special thanks to Justin Robert Young for being with us today. How's your week been, man? You want to know what? Uh, My week was made so much better because I got a text message from Tom Merritt on Saturday, uh, wherein he did a full segment of the Politics, Politics, Politics show to which I summarily ignored because I was doing other things and I forgot to look back at it. It filed it in my brain and then it got lost. Tom then texted me again 48 hours later to remind me that he had done my job for me. And I checked it out. It was amazing. It's in this Wednesday's edition of Politics, 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 but it is Every bit of uh, awesomeness that you get from Tom in terms of his research abilities on tech. This time it is about the history of universal basic income. And if all you've ever heard about it is from the mouth of Andrew Yang, obviously a very big contemporary advocate, then you might not know the story of how it almost came to be at the hands of Richard Nixon. It was fun. I just went down a rabbit hole and uh, and and I recorded this thing for Justin and he used it in the show, which is which is nice of him. Thank you. Uh, no, it is nice of you to do do my job and, <laughs> and do it better than I can. So so please go check it out. I, I thought it was great. I think the whole episode is actually really worth uh, listening to. But uh, but yeah, go ahead and check it out. It is Wednesday's edition, the uh, uh, July 15th edition of the Politics, Politics, Politics program. Hey, folks, we want to thank you for supporting us on Patreon uh, in, in these times. Man, I am more thankful for patrons than ever before. Uh, At the beginning of all of this lockdown stuff in March, I was uh, fairly concerned about what was going to happen to direct supported stuff. I am very pleased to say that direct supported stuff seems to be weathering this a lot better because you all 
value it. You get value and you give value back. And I thank you for that. Uh, everybody who supports us at patreon.com slash DTNS. Our email address is feedback at dailytechnewsshow.com. If you'd like to join us live, we'd love to have you. Monday through Friday, 4.30 p.m. Eastern, 2030 UTC. Find out more at dailytechnewsshow.com slash live. Back tomorrow with Rob Dunwood. Len Peralta will be here drawing as well. Talk to you then. This show is part of the Frog Pants Network. Get more at frogpants.com. You have enjoyed this program. <laughs> Hi, this is Matt and Sean from Two Black Guys with good credit. If you own or operate a business, whether it's a local operation or a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America could be your smartest move. By teaming with Bank of America, you'll enjoy exclusive digital tools, award winning insights, and business solutions so powerful you'll make every move matter. Position your business to capitalize on opportunity in a moment's notice. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America, N.A., copyright 2024. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.